Anyone want to guess? The Reformation. The Reformation. Why are we Protestants and not Catholic? What happened? Right? The Reformation is traced back to 500 years ago, and we say that this is the one moment, but really there was already persecution happening. John Huss was killed because he disagreed with the Catholic Church on some crucial issues. But even John Huss didn't quite take it as far as Martin Luther was willing to take it. Martin Luther was a little bit cray-cray, right? He spoke to himself, he cussed, he drank, you know, he, he wasn't clean and tidy as a Christian. Uh, but he was genius, he was intelligent. And at this time, the Catholic doctrine of how someone is saved, how someone is sanctified, how you grow in Christ uh, was one that led to some really weird practices. If you've not grown up in the Catholic Church and it's foreign to you, it's going to sound really foreign to you. Even if you grew up in the Catholic Church, some of these things might still sound foreign to you. But they had this idea that uh, what God does is you're not fully good. You're a little bit good, but you're not fully good. Jesus had to die on the cross to kind of elevate you a little bit, give you, give you a boost. The word they use is to infuse grace in you. Just kind of give the car the push that it needed so it'll turn. You know, just that nudge. You have enough, but you don't have enough to make it all the way on your own. You just have enough to, to, to at least receive God's grace and do something with it. You have something for God to work with in you. And that led to this idea that you can do things in order to secure heaven for yourself. Not on your own. You still need Christ. Christ needed to die on the cross. Don't misunderstand the Catholic Church. Christ needed to come. Christ needed to die. He needed to live the life that you couldn't live. He needed to die the death that you should have died. They would affirm all of that. But it wasn't alone sufficient. That plus what you bring to the table. That's the difference. And so what do you bring to the table? Well, you have to do penance. You know, kind of make up, kind of balance your spiritual checkbook. You did some bad things, well, do some good things and balance it out. As long as you're balanced, then what Christ did will get you in. Well, what do you do? Well, all manner of things. Say so many, our fathers. Pray the rosary. Uh, pay reverence to the saints. Which saints? Depends on what you did. How often? How often did you do it, man? Right? Indulgences. About uh, paying the church, and you're contributing to the kingdom, and there's verses in here about giving. Isn't there verses in here about giving? That's something good that you should do, and if you do enough of that, that helps you balance. The more money you give the church, the more well-balanced it is to the point where they had indulgence salesmen would come door to door with their little leather satchel full of certificates. If you paid so much, you'd get this kind of certificate guaranteeing this many years shaved off of purgatory or however it worked. The sale of indulgences. How about relics? You know what would be really special? Not to just pray the rosary, Right? But to actually have in your hand a, a piece of wood that's from the actual cross that Jesus died on. 
or the tablecloth, the bloodied tablecloth upon which John the Baptist's head rested, pray with that. He was holy. A vial of the Virgin Mary's milk. The remains of the three wise men. They had all kinds of artifacts. They just kept coming up with new ones, right? This is a piece of the ark. All kinds of stuff. To help you get the sense that you're making up for that red column in your spiritual checkbook. What the Reformation was about, on October 31st, it is said, 1517, Martin Luther wrote 95 theses, most of which refuted especially the sale of indulgences. And he didn't want to break from the church. He didn't want to start a cult. He didn't want to start a new church. He, he's rolling over in the grave that the fact that there's a denomination called the Lutherans. He explicitly said, don't do that. The last thing I want you to do is name a church after this disgusting guy. But he took this 95 thesis to, to help the Catholic Church kind of fix some of the things that are wrong. And he posted it on this door. We imagine it like he nailed it to a random door. What a jerk. I can't even believe it. It was a door where people would post things, like when you're at school and the professors put articles or, you know, they post your grades on this big cork board, that kind of deal. And he posted it. But right around then, the printing press was, was hot, no pun intended, right? And they started generating this stuff for the first time, mass availability of this stuff. And everyone's reading Martin Luther's 95 Theses. That kind of ticked off the higher-ups in the church. And he's kind of poking holes in some of the practices of the Catholic Church, but the practices are based on beliefs, right? We do things because of things that we believe, and that's the heart of it. The heart of it is what is the nature of how you're saved, how you are assured that you're going to heaven. Martin Luther was caught in a thunderstorm, and it scared him almost literally to death. And he said, God, if you save me from this thunderstorm, it must have been a bad thunderstorm, you know? If you save me from this thunderstorm, I'll be a monk. He was on his path to be a lawyer. He survived the thunderstorm. He forgets law. And he becomes a doctor of divinity instead. And in his studies and in the monastery, he was afflicted with uh, pains of conscience. Uh, He called it anfechtungen or something like that. You try to speak German in a German church, you want thin ice, bro. On him. It means uh, like trials or temptations, but the way he used it was specifically of the affliction of his conscience. It was driving him mad, the idea that his checkbook is supposed to be balanced. Is it ever fully balanced? I did three prayers. Should I have done four? He would spend hours at the booth of his mentor, Dr. Staupitz, and he would tell him all the things to confess. I did this, I did that. Here's the other thing I did. Then he would leave, and halfway home, he'd remember something else. I can't believe I totally forgot that. Would it, only a sinner would forget that. I need to repent of the fact that I even forgot to repent of that. Run back until his mentor finally said, listen, man, come with real sins instead of all this nonsense. Just let's cover the big stuff. Martin Luther's problem was, It can't work like that, can it? Only cover the big stuff? Because the small stuff is enough to separate us from God, is it not? How many small things? What did I cover? 
How many relics? What if there's undiscovered relics that would get me further, but we don't have them yet, or I don't visit it enough? I, maybe I should do more pilgrimages to Jerusalem or holy places. It was a paranoia that unsettled him. And so for the first time, he really started, especially the book of Romans. And he, along with other reformers, mainly John Calvin, uh, Zwingli, others, that taught that we are only saved through five solas, five alones. Right? We're saved by grace alone, sola gratia. We're saved by faith alone, sola fide. We're saved in Christ alone, solus Christus. We know that because of Scripture alone, sola scriptura. And all of those things are true alone for God's glory, sola del gloria. So we're going to look at those five over the next five weeks, and today we're going to look at the nature of grace. But I want to explain to you or uh, commend to you to think about how important this is This is not just a matter of splitting hairs. This is not just a matter of, eh, grace alone, grace plus Christ, grace plus what I do. What's the difference? People died for this. Timothy George in his book on the Theology of Reformers said, there's there's more martyrs in the age of the Reformation than all of the early church persecution combined. They died for this. Men were separated from their kids and their families. They were exiled, punished, or killed because of these five solas. But I want to say it's not just important because some ancient guys 500 years ago thought it was that important. It's important because if you don't get this, you don't get the gospel. You don't get the gospel. If you don't get the gospel, you're not in Christ. Your eternity hangs in this balance. People talk about, let's just just get along with the Catholic Church. That's fine. I think there are people in the Catholic Church that are saved, just like there's people in a Protestant church that aren't saved. And the reason why is because they don't get it. But if somebody studies the Catholic doctrines, studies Scripture, and says what Scripture teaches is that Christ's sacrifice is not enough. I need to do stuff. I need to be good enough plus Christ to get in. That's a false gospel. If that's what you believe, friend, you're lost. I want to show you that from Scripture And to do that, we're going to look at Romans 5. Romans 5. Please turn there if you have a Bible. Romans chapter 5. In this passage, I thought to myself, boy, I wonder if I look back in all my sermons how many times I've preached from Romans. Not many Romans is thick, it's difficult, it's uh, long, complex arguments to try to track. I want to mostly concern ourselves with one verse, but the chunk is 12 to 21. 
I'm going to read it all the way through, then back up, show you the verse I'm talking about, and we'll unpack it from there. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What I want to do is look especially at that first verse, verse 12, which in my estimation is probably one of, if not the most difficult verse in all the Bible. But it's not difficult because it's hard to understand, as many verses are, right? You read it, you reread it, and you read it again, and you're like, is this English? It looks like English. I don't know what it's saying. But that's not really why this verse is difficult. The English is actually pretty clear, as is the Greek from which it's translated. What's difficult about it is that it, it rubs us the wrong way, and we read it and we go, that can't be right. He's got to mean something else. But the English is plain. Verse 12 says, why... We are in the predicament we're in. Why do you need the gospel? Why does Jesus Christ need to die? That's where he wants to start. He's going to explain the gospel and give the good news. He wants to give the bad news first. We don't get what the bad news is. We don't appreciate the good news. We don't appreciate the good news. We don't have the gospel. We're lost. So what's the bad news? Well, we're in sin. How are we in sin? In what way are we in sin? Why are we condemned? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Why is that difficult? We all sin. We all know we sin. It's difficult because what he's saying is the reason why death is your just reward is not because you sin but because you sinned. When? In Adam. Now this throws people for a loop, as, as it does me. 
it's difficult to wrap our heads around, not the grammar, but the content of what it's saying. We are guilty in Adam. He bit the fruit, you bit the fruit. Adam deserves to die for biting the fruit, you deserve to die for biting the fruit. You say, I wasn't there. I wasn't physically there. I didn't physically bite the fruit. He's not saying you were physically there, but there's another sense in which you were there. It's almost like God considers all of humanity as one organic entity. The tree, the branch, the leaves, the roots, it's one piece. And whatever affects the root is true of the whole tree. You don't say, this portion of the trunk is poison. The tree is poison. Right? The way one guy put it, and every analogy breaks down, is if a general is defeated, his soldiers are defeated. A soldier's not going to say, the general was beat. I wasn't beat. You were beat. But I didn't make the decision. All one group. You're defeated. The reason why it's difficult is not because of the English. It's because we have a hard time with the concept. But let's just let the grammar do its work to show us that that's what he means. He says that in Adam, he's talking about that one man, that one trespass through the one man. The word one happens 12 times in 12 verses. One man, one trespass. And then Jesus is the one new man and his one new work. But it's one, singular. Now, Paul is not denying the fact that we have many sins. Each of us can think of many reasons why we should be separated from God. I did this, I did that, right? Just like Martin Luther, afflicted with the thoughts of the stuff that we did and we've done and that we're doing now. But that's not what Paul's getting at here. What Paul's getting at here is the fact that we're condemned because we all sinned in the one sin, in the one man. Adam. And so he talks he focuses on the singularity of that sin that it's not the many sins guilty we're guilty because of the one sin and we were in Adam when he sinned and therefore we experienced death, spiritual death as well as physical. This is not saying this is not saying that we're born into this world with a blank slate. And then somewhere along the way, you watch cartoons, your parents let you watch a movie that was maybe a little bit too advanced for your age, or you're in school and school children are naughty, and somehow you learned naughtiness and started learning words like mine, get off me, me first, I was sitting there first, I want that, give me that, I'm not sharing. We were taught that somehow. We started with a blank slate and then we somehow by our own fruit of selfishness. That's not what this is saying. This is saying before you were born, before you were in the womb, you sinned. And you're guilty as an embryo. This is not saying, well, what you know, we inherited like a we inherited uh, this disposition to sin. We like to sin and we inherited that but we're not guilty until we actually sin. That's often how we explain the gospel, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you inherit something and then you make it your own because then it would be possible to not make it your own. But he's leaving no possibility here for you to enter this world and not be guilty because as soon as you entered this world, you entered through that solidarity with Adam. Adam is why you enter this world. You can't enter this world without Adam. 
And so as soon as you enter this world, you share his guilt. Because in that one act, we all sinned. So it's not a spiritual genetic that makes us guilty. It's the fact that we, in some organic way, we sinned in Adam. You see why this is a difficult verse, right? But notice that he says, this one man is the cause of death. This sin, the fact that we all sinned in this one trespass, is the reason why we're dead. Look at verse 15. Many died through one man's trespass. Why do you die? Adam sinned. How would you explain it if you were Panera and somebody asked, why do we die? You'd be like, well, have you ever sinned? Right? And it's not that that's not true. What Paul's saying here is that that's true. Sure, that's true. But he's cutting to the core of it and saying ultimately why we die is because Adam sinned. But what's that have to do with me? Well, you're an Adam. So he says it in verse 12. He says it in verse 15. Many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16. Through the judgment following one trespass. Why does judgment befall us? Because of one trespass. He says it again. Verse 17, because of whose trespass? One man's. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Is that fair? Let's get to that in a second. But right now, let's just ask, what does the text say? And it says, one sin way back then is why you're condemned now. We all sinned in Adam. Verse 19. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. One man, one act of disobedience. Everybody else is in the hole. So he says it in verse 12, and then he repeats it five times in verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And I'm just trying to contain it to this just section here. But it's consistent with the whole Bible. So this doesn't deny that we have personal sin. Of course we have personal sin. But he's saying more here. He's saying that we are already condemned just by virtue of being. If you exist as a human, you're guilty. And you're not guilty when you become a certain age and commit an act. You're guilty by virtue of the fact that you are part of this organic entity called humanity of which the head is Adam. Some theologians call this federal headship. And that's the word they use to explain this predicament that we're in. Adam was our head. And because the head of humanity sinned in that one act, we're not guilty because all the other things that Adam did. Surely he kept sinning. But that one act was that decisive moment where Adam fell and we all fell with him then, not eventually when we go to college and act naughty or maybe we're three years old. Whatever age we're sort of comfortable with to say, okay, that's depravity. I want it now! Oh my goodness, three years old, depravity, you know. But you know, one year old, we're like, mm, blank slate. 
No. Condemned. I don't have time to get into infancy. Uh, there is biblical evidence. Some say that uh, infants go to heaven if they die when they're infants. That's a lot to unpack. Can't do it now. What I want to do is talk about Paul explaining the gospel from the point of the bad news first. The bad news being not, hey, we all mess up. We do. But we're condemned because one man messed up. Now you've got, if you're thinking, if you're here, you had your coffee and you weren't up too late last night, you're probably thinking right now, that's not fair. You should be thinking that. Because it's not. It doesn't seem fair, right? It doesn't seem fair that one man was, I didn't decide for him to be my head. (laughs) What if I wanted someone else to be my head? Who decide, why does God decide that he gets, why does God get to decide that? Well, just like in other places in Romans, God is going to say, you're the clay and he's the potter. The clay doesn't tell the potter, why'd you shape me into a vase? I want to be a cup. You have no right to say that, you're clay. So, so Paul is not a, a mega church. He, Paul wouldn't sell books today at all. They just, nobody would buy them. It's terrible. You're clay. You know, like, I don't want to be clay. I want to be like powerful or something, you know. <laughs> He completely cuts you down and strips you away of anything that you can bring to the table. You see why the book of Romans was important to someone like Martin Luther saying, wait a minute, the church is saying, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. All you need is some grace infused, and then you can do stuff and be good enough. And he's like, why do I have this nagging feeling that I'm a piece of junk that can't do anything? And even the good stuff that I do has bad motives behind it. I I can't do anything right, let alone catch up with the things that I did wrong. I can't even think of all the things to confess. If confession is my way out, I still am trapped because I can't even, I don't have the wisdom to identify all the ways in which I'm messed up. And he reads verses like this and it's going, yeah. You're guiltier than you even think you are, Luther. You're condemned in Adam. That's how bad it is. I want to massage that more, but I want to move on before we start losing membership in our church. The reason why Paul lays out the bad news is because that same unfairness in the bad news, that's your ticket out. It's not fair that Christ would be put on the cross. It's not fair that I don't have to do anything. Christ did it. That's not fair. But the same unfairness that condemned us is the unfairness that can save us. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. So what you'll see here is Paul draw, draws the analogy, the parallel of between Adam and the one act that got us in trouble and Jesus, the new Adam, the new head of a new humanity, a new creation, and his one act that saves, one act that puts us in trouble and one act that rescues us out of the trouble. One man with one act that condemns everybody and one man with one act that is able to save. How does he do that? Well, he compares Adam to Christ in verse 15 to 21. Look at the analogy. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Now notice the bad news is 12 to 14. Even Paul wants to get to the good news, right? 15 to 21 is the good news. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
Jesus becomes the new head so that we can have a new unfair, but works out for us this time, representative that does it right this time. We'll put the screen up on a verse up on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, and it's a familiar passage. But watch what he does here when he's writing the Corinthians. It's really short, but it's the same idea. We've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. God is going to look at you like you fully paid for your sins on a brutal cross. And you go, but I didn't. Now that doesn't bother us, right? Why doesn't that bother us? Well, that's not fair. Why should one man die on a cross and everybody who just believes in him, they get saved? Satan's probably walking around like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And God's like, oh, you like it when it condemns man, but you don't like it when it rescues him, right? But it's the same unfairness. One man, Jesus, died on the cross. You don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to live a perfect life. You don't have to do penance. Christ did it. But that's not fair. Exactly. Exactly. The unfairness on the one side becomes the unfairness that rescues us on the other side because of the parallel. Look at Romans 5 again. He talks about a few ways that the gift, that, that uh, the one act of Jesus is not like the act of Adam. It's, it's the same in the sense that one damaged everybody and one saves everybody, but, but they're different. Look what he says in verse 15. He says it's free. The free gift is not like the trespass. How are they different? The trespass is because you did it. In Adam, you did it. So you deserve it. And anyone who says, no, 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 not me. Are you a sinner? Do you sin? Yes. See? And did you like it? Did you like it when you sinned? None, none of us can say, well, that, that's not me. That's, don't give me that theology. I'm, I'm this. No, none of us are a clean slate. We know it's true. And he's saying we sinned in Adam, and because we sinned in Adam, we're guilty. That's guilt, right? But the gift is different because it's free. None of us are going to go, in Christ, I died on the cross. No, he didn't. This is free, buddy. You didn't do anything for this one. He emphasizes that twice in verse 15, the word free. Twice in verse 16, the word free. Once in verse 17, the word free. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. If it's free, do you do anything for it? Does it matter how many prayers you do? How many times you go to church? How holy you are? No, because then it wouldn't be free. It'd be earned. But it's not earned. It's free. It's different than the trespass. So what the church in Luther's day was saying is, by the things you did, you earned death. Now you have to undo that by the things you do to earn life. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's where the gift and the, uh, the trespass are different. Trespass is earned. Salvation's free. Christ's work, Christ's one act of obedience is free. What is that called? Well, it's called grace. He says it's grace in verse 15 twice, verse 17, and then 20 to 21. He talks about the grace of God. In verse 17, we receive the abundance of grace. Verse 20, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, grace 
also might reign. And that's what grace is, guys. If there was anything that we brought to the table, it wouldn't be grace. It'd be like 50-50. It'd be like a deal, you know? Full grace, which is hard for us to understand. We're, we have such an exchange mentality. We, we do gift exchanges. We, we, we don't often do gift one-way, one-way gift things. Hey, how about you all come over to our house, bring us and our kids a bunch of gifts. <laughs> what do you think? And then they come and they bring gifts, and they're kind of looking, and it's kind of impolite to ask where are ours, but they probably won't go to that one next year. Right? Grace is, here's a gift. Well, what can I get you? Nothing. Because then it wouldn't be grace. And I want this to be grace because grace gives me more glory. If I got something out of it, I'd get less glory. But I'd get more out of it because I gave it for nothing. Sheer love, I gave it. And I get glory out of that. That's grace. So the reformers were striking this chord of grace alone. We are saved by grace alone alone and the objections are no 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 no. it can't be grace alone because if it's grace alone then we just we can just do whatever we want but here's the problem if you take someone like martin luther right with his unfaithungen his lightning bolts of conscience pangs that bother him and this ugly sin that he can't get rid of and by grace he finds freedom from that sin Does that guy go, oh, good, let me go back to this stuff that was haunting me? No, he's free from it. Someone who says, oh, let me get grace so I can keep sinning, doesn't understand grace. Because they're not not repenting, they don't want forgiveness. But someone who wants forgiveness, wants change, wants freedom from that life. And then, guys, listen to this other difference between the one act of Christ and the one act of Adam. Another difference is that Christ's act abounds. Adam did the bare minimum for all of us to die. But Christ did more than enough for us to live. He says, verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. The many died through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It's not just enough to kind of balance the checkbook. It's it's way over. It's more than enough that we need to live. It's sufficient. Christ's work is completely and totally sufficient. Jesus didn't utter his breath saying it's almost done, but it's finished. Totally sufficient for us to not just be not dead, but to have an abundant life that's full and changing and growing. From grace to grace. Verse 17. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? This is not just barely eking by and living, but that, that righteousness reigns in your life more than enough. Christ has accomplished it. And finally, if you look at verses 16 and 17, you see the coverage is better. Christ's one act has a greater coverage than Adam's one act. Not in terms of how many people, but in terms of the quality of what's given to each person. If you look at verse 16 and 17, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Why? 
Because the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. All right, Lucas version. One sin got everybody in trouble. One sin. But then once we were in trouble, many sins happened, right? We just keep repeating what Adam did. We repeat what we did. We repent one day and then we do it the next day again. Many trespasses. Christ's grace doesn't just cover the one act of Adam. Everything, everything, everyone ever did, covered. It's complete. By his grace, free gift. Not halfway, not gives you a head start, not kind of pushes you, nudges you, and then go ahead, buddy, you got it. You don't got it. You're dead. He gives you life by virtue of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, only, sola. This is sola gratia, grace alone. This is the death of the battle in the conscience. Am I saved? Am I really saved? Did I repent enough? Did I do enough? If we're asking those questions, we may not understand what grace is. But if we understand this passage and we swallow the hard pill of verses 12 to 14, then we're in position to accept the answer, the antidote of verses 15 to 21. That's assurance. Grace is Christ's righteousness counted to you by faith. He's your head. And you stand at heaven's door. The old proverb, there's no biblical evidence that God asks you this at heaven's door or St. Peter. But, you know, just to roll with it. Why should I let you into heaven? Well, in Luther's day, a good Roman Catholic would say, well, because Jesus Christ and I did this, I did that, I did that, I touched the relic, I bought an indulgence. What Paul is saying is your answer better be, Christ is my new head. And as my new head, he completely more than reverses what I got in Adam, the first representative. Alone. No and. No and. Just alone. Let me leave you with this quote from Kevin Van Hooser writing on the solas of the Reformation He said, we're prepared to receive the grace of Christ only when we despair of our natural ability. You're only ready to receive the gospel. You're only ready to receive grace when you despair of your natural ability. If you're still clinging to your natural ability to get it, to do it, to do it well, this year, this year, 2017, I'm going to be spiritual this year, man. I'm spiritual this year, man. I'm for sure, at the end of 2017, my New Year's resolution is to never doubt my salvation because I'm going to put in a good 2017. Man, you're lost. You're going to have a rough 2017. But if you say, man, my New Year's resolution is every time doubt creeps in, every time I think I'm not good enough, instead of ignoring it, accept the fact that I'm not good enough, but trust in the fact that Christ is. And it is abundantly above and beyond what is needed for you to not just escape death, but to have righteousness reign in your life. It is finished in Christ alone and in no one else. I hope you believe that. I hope you understand that. 
And I hope that we as a church don't use the five solas to argue with not just Catholics, but every other religion that believes that salvation is by doing stuff. But instead to show them that this is a trap with one way out and the solas are the way out. That the grace provided only in Christ is your ticket out. Yes, it's, it seems unfair. The predicament seems unfair, but that same unfairness is the ticket out. And that ticket out is Jesus Christ being your new head through faith, not by doing a bunch of churchy stuff. Through faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the full God, full man, who was born on the original Christmas to live a perfect life that none of us could live. And because he's fully God, He doesn't have the condemnation because he didn't participate in that organic unity with Adam. After that perfect life, 33 years, about, killed, executed, experienced death, and then rose again to conquer death. He can't lead us past something he didn't conquer himself. Rose again to conquer it by our placing faith and trust in him in repentance. He becomes our new head than being accused because of our sin in Adam, we get excused because of our freedom in Christ. That's the gospel.